Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm here again with my co-host Keith Myers and we have a special guest today, Brandon Schultz from the Seahawkers Podcast and the Field Goals Podcast. Brandon, I'll uh, let you uh, say hi first and then we'll get to Keith. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. I'm ready to talk a little bit of draft. I, I think we even have some Seahawks news to talk about, so this is fun. Yeah, well, glad to have you on for sure. Uh, yeah, today's episode is definitely going to focus on defensive players coming up in the NFL draft. They're kind of Seahawks guys. We'll kind of go through the different levels of the draft, uh, first day guys, second day, third ga- uh, day, uh, stuff like that. Keith, step in. Tell me how you're doing this week. Oh, I'm surviving the quarantine here and every day is an adventure of not leaving my house and uh, all of that fun but we are um we're making it through we're doing what we can and and getting a chance to get on here and talk football is a great distraction from all the nonsense i think so keith why don't you open up with the seahawks news this week what do you got going on so uh it's not. I wouldn't necessarily call it big news, but it's news. It's all we've got right now is that the CX signed uh, Benson Mayoa, uh, a name that you guys might remember because he was with uh, the Seahawks for a short bit. Uh, he is a pass rusher, an edge, a um, like a seven tech type of guy. Um, seven sacks or six and a half sacks last year. Uh, you know he's going to come in and be the. Uh, one of our rotational guys is a pass rusher, so they finally did something to help the pass rush. It's just not real exciting something. Yeah, Benson Mayo brings in seven sacks uh, and, a, and about six, I think, the year prior. Uh, last year, they fully guaranteed his deal, uh, like a three, three and a half million dollars plus uh, the ability to make another uh, few hundred thousand uh, on that deal. You know... <sighs> I have mixed emotions on this thing, especially with Clowney just sitting there waiting. The parameters are basically set for a deal that he would likely come into. And I think the Seahawks are getting a little impatient. They need to address this issue. This is They came into free agency with this being the top priority and not having addressed it other than Bruce Irvin and bringing back Jaron Reed. Um, I think they felt the need to at least... Uh, have a rotational guy come in uh, before the draft in case Clowney waits uh, before that. Um, Brandon, what's your take on this sort of situation? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm a little bit upset that you guys didn't give Benson Mayoa his uh, appropriate title. It's Super Bowl 48 champion Benson Mayoa. Uh, <laughs> he was he was with our Super Bowl team. So, uh, you know, it's he, he's a nice rotational piece. I like the idea that, and I don't think we've actually seen the contract deals for Bruce Irvin yet, but I think what 1 million, 3 million, uh, one year, $3 million for Mayoa. There's a potential that they get both Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa for the cost of, you know, Quentin Jefferson leaving. And to me, if that's the case, that's an outstanding move to get two guys with, uh, you know, add them up and they're over double digit sacks versus a, a guy like Quentin Jefferson, who is, in another nice rotational piece, but ultimately I think overpaid a little bit to go to Buffalo. 
Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what Clowney does. I mean, it's tough. Now there's uh, reported uh, a couple other players maybe in the mix. Uh, it sounds like Tennessee, and Keith, you've been kind of calling this one for a few weeks on the show. Uh, Tennessee looks to be the main competition against Seattle. I don't know if it'll come to anything. Uh, I think he likely returns to Seattle only because I think it's a really good cultural fit for him here. He likes uh, the team. He likes the players. He likes the coaching staff. He made that clear in his exit interview. We'll see what happens. Uh, But at least the Seahawks are addressing that. I think ahead of the draft is the key. That way they can allow the draft to kind of come to them. But it still doesn't take away that need for some more speed on the defense, some pass rush to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, if you if you subtract everything and you add everything in, it seems to me that we're fairly even uh, from last year. And last year's defense was somewhat abysmal. And kind of let me set this thing up a little bit before we start talking players in the draft on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the Seahawks finished with 28 sacks, second fewest in the league, only behind Miami at 23. Their sack percentage at 4.5% was third worst overall. Um, that led, you know, overall, uh, Seattle allowed 263.9 passing yards per game at 20, ranked 27th, 381 total yards per game. Um, they're running, you know, stopping the run wasn't that great. Overall, just a really down year for the defense uh came into free agency knowing that they needed to address that it's been okay so let's turn our attention to the draft and find out if there are any players that seattle can look to to maybe add to that um, talent deficit that they've got uh what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go around we're going to check in with everyone see uh everyone kind of brought in uh five six seven guys that they want to talk about different levels of the draft um, let's start with Brandon. Let's give you the honor of uh, opening this thing up and just kind of throw out a name and, and we'll, uh, we'll bat it around a bit. All right. Well, since we are discussing pass rush, I'll, I'll start off with my defensive end that I think at the end of the first round, if he were available for the Seahawks and I've seen him mock to teams like the chiefs and uh, new England Patriots, you know, kind of end of the first round, And that's AJ Epinesa of Iowa. And one of the nice things, you know, one of the things I think that we're going to be looking at, uh, guys, is that uh, those sea hockey type traits among these guys. And, you know, this is a guy that, that fits a lot of, of what the Seahawks tend to look for in a defensive end. They, they want the arm length of over 33 inches. This guy has 34 and a half inch arms. You know, his, uh, his 10 yard split is broad jump right in the range for what the Seahawks look for. And uh, the other really nice sea hockey thing that I like about Epinesa is that he's had back-to-back seasons with four forced fumbles and uh, one among the leaders in college football. So that was kind of my thinking when I, I looked at a you know, potential defensive end. It's kind of it's not a great class for guys on the edge, but uh, this is, I think, in the range of, of what could be available for the Seahawks at the end of the first round. Keith, what do you think? Well, I was just going to say, I um, I like the pick. It's a, another five-tech kind of guy, which they've got, um, you know, it's a, their last two top draft picks have been with Collier and Green have both been, you know, very similar um, in terms of what position they play. I was thinking more on the other side of the line. I do like the value uh, there if the Seahawks can get a player like that. I think it's a would be a good pick, especially if they end up losing out on this clowny uh, sweepstakes to get another body that can come in and, 
you know, be that edge setter at 275 against the run, but still have pass rush upside uh, would be a really nice piece for him. Yeah, you know, I was kind of thinking the same thing too. The, uh, you know, with Collier especially, and then uh, um, Rasheem Green at the at the five tech, that base defensive end plus Clowney also plays that. Um, if we lose Clowney, uh, AJ Epinesa could actually be a really nice uh, fit. He's a great size at two hundred and eighty pounds. He he has great power, great strength, can slip inside on passing downs, rush from that three tech spot if need be. Um, set the edge, defends the run actually really well as in the defensive end class. I think he's probably one of the top guys at defending the run. Um, so he does have that uh, scheme diversity that I think Seattle really likes, but having uh, those two other guys that they, they want to develop. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if he drops that far, um, and, and sometimes guys like this do, uh, he could definitely be in play for the Seahawks. Uh, Keith, you, do you have a guy that you want to look at? Yeah. Um, so this, I was, like I said, I was looking at the other side of the line, just more of a speed rusher kind of guy, uh, someone t- to make sure that they're not dependent on only Bruce Irvin on that other side, because uh, that's pretty much all they've got right now. And um, so I went with uh, Joss Uche from uh, Michigan. He's a little undersized at 245, but really twitchy, uh, really like just explosive power, quick first step, lots of speed. Uh, there and I thought as a you know as that seven tech or a nine tech you know more of the Chris Clemens side of the of the equation even though they have gone away from that shifting um, but to have a guy like that that could get off the edge and really bend the corner I thought would be a, a nice piece and it looking at where different places have him um, ranked it looks like a guy that might be available you know top of the second round after they trade down. Yeah, that's an interesting guy. Um, he's a little short and maybe undersized weight-wise, but he's long. He's got longer arms, I think 30, mm-hmm. close to 34-inch uh, arms. Um, he also drops back into coverage really well. So he can play that Sam linebacker role if the team needs him to. He's got kind of that scheme diversity, drop back into coverage. Uh, he does, uh, even it, though he's undersized, he's got kind of a toughness about him, uh, wanting to stick his head in there uh, to kind of set the edge or at least defend against the run on the edge. Um, then he's got some special teams upside. I mean, a guy like that uh, in the second round, in that sort of in-between kind of a tweener guy, you want him to be a special teams kind of guy too. So, yeah, that's not a bad look. Um, what Do you think that he has the potential to fall uh, towards the, the back end of the second round? Or do you think Seattle would have to get him if they choose to trade back into the maybe the top of the second round? I would guess that it's probably going to be closer to the top of the second round just because it's not a great year as far as pass rushers go in the draft. So uh, a guy like him is going to go a little earlier than maybe you'd expect because there's just no one in front of him on the list. So uh, I could see him going in the very top of the second round, like, you know, picks 34 through 36 if if the Seahawks want him. Interesting. So I took a look at that position as well on the other side. I looked at guys that kind of play the Sam, kind of do that edge, the Leo thing. Uh, Uche was definitely on my list. You got um, a guy like uh, Bradley Anae out of Utah. Um Zach Bond 
does kind of the same thing, plays that linebacker role, but also gives you a little bit of spice up there on the front uh, of the line on passing downs if you want him to. Um, but I like a guy like uh, Julian Aquara. Is that how you pronounce that? Aquara uh, out of Notre Dame. Six, four and a half, 248. He's uh, got that first step, that speed. I think the team really wants to add in the, uh, this offseason. They talked about it. At the combine, they talked about it at the you know the exit interview uh, press conferences. Um, just needing that edge and that speed that the team really doesn't have. And you mentioned really the only thing we've got right now is Irvin over there. Uh, we're definitely going to have to step up and, and add to that. Um, Brandon, what do you think about team speed right now? Well, it was definitely an issue last year because you saw just toward the end of the year where teams were able to really get outside with the uh, the jet sweeps. And that was, I mean, it really crushed the Seahawks in the run game last year. So picking up speed would, uh, it would definitely be an improvement. I, you know, whether they do that uh, with, you know, kind of that Sam linebacker position or, um, you know, how they, do, how, what they end up doing. Uh, with their linebackers, if if that's how they choose to address the speed issue, or getting guy, more guys on the out, on the defensive line who who have some speed, I, I'm curious though. You know, while while we're on the defensive line and kind of these day one, day two guys, another guy I had on my list, and I, I don't know if you see him more as the Leo guy or more of the five technique five technique position, but Jabari Zaniga out of Florida, and I've seen him mocked. I'm gosh, as late as as the fourth round, which that would be really surprising to me, and maybe it's because he only played five games for Florida this past season, uh, so kind of a disappointing final year uh, before coming into the draft. But you know, in terms of you know, see hockey type traits, uh, he didn't do the three cone at the combine, but he he was um, he was reported at a pro day doing a set or or that he had in the past had a seven oh three for his uh, three cone drill, which is you know it. Uh, beneath guys like Cassius Marsh, Frank, Frank Clark that they've looked at in the past, uh, a little bit shorter on the arm length under the 33 inch arms, but you know, it's like an eighth of an inch. So right. I, I think we can give them a little bit of grace there, but you know, a nice junior season, seven and a half sacks, 11 tackles for a loss. Um, I, I'm curious where you guys see him. Janenga. I mean, he's a player. I mean, there's no question. I don't think he's going to last until the fourth round, especially in this market in the draft. I think you're probably looking uh even slightly earlier than the Seahawks' uh, late picks in the second round. Um, if he's still there at that point, mm. he's a tremendous value. You know, um, He's got that initial quickness and motor. I see him kind of as in that Cliff Averill role, the Leo. Uh, I don't see him dropping into coverage as a Sam linebacker very much. I don't think he fits that role really well at 6'3", 264. He's a bit heavy to, to drop back into coverage and so forth, and he kind of did struggle with that a little bit in college. And you mentioned the fact that he missed those games. He had that high ankle sprain, forced him to miss seven games last year. Otherwise, I think this guy is top of second round, back end of the first round type of a talent. Um, and if the Seahawks could get a hold of that guy, it would I think it would be a tremendous get for them. How about you, Keith? Well, I was going to say, I um, his lack of production as a senior had a lot to do with that injury and not, you know, any kind of drop off in terms of like, you know, talent or, or uh, work ethic or any of that. He just, he got hurt and missed a lot of the year. And so, yeah, his stats are, are kind of crummy, but his junior year was great. Um, and so 
I I don't see him dropping into the fourth. I know people are are like mocking him that low. I don't get it. I don't see it. I've got a, him going early round three, um, but that might be too low. Uh, once you, you go through and actually look at his junior tape and realize just how quick he is off the edge for a guy that's 265 or 264. Oh, I totally agree. And he has that ability to strip balls out, create fumbles. Um, he really kind of gets his head in there. He's got a lot of football intelligence. I think it's a great pick, Brandon. I mean, that's a that's a sea hockey guy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith, what do you got in the uh, way of second day guys and to me this is where all the value is in the draft you're only got one shot at a guy at 127 they're going to likely drop back maybe pick up a pick maybe a a second uh second day pick so they would have a total of four picks overall on day two um which i think is the value pocket in this thing keith you know throw out a name or two what do you got well i mean you're right. There's a, there's a value pocket here. I just w- am really hoping that the Seahawks uh, do their thing and get a guy earlier than that, just because I want them to f- to just fix the problem. Um, and maybe I'm maybe that's a little wishful thinking. Um, so let's see. Uh, you know, a guy I I like uh, in this range would be um, uh, DJ Wanham. Uh, 6'5", 258 out of South Carolina. Uh, more of a Cliff Averill type than a, a Michael Bennett type as far as your archetypes on the defensive end. A uh, little smaller than some of the other guys we've talked about, a little bigger than um, Uche, who I brought up before. But again, he's a guy that I think is you're going to see in the um, in the third round, day two kind of guy, uh, and has some you know, upsides and talent, uh, not just as a, uh, pass, uh, rusher, but also as a run, as a run block or, or, you know, he, he could be an every down type of defensive end, not just a specialist. And I think there's some value in that. Awesome. So we're sticking with the edge guys, defensive end, end guys. Um, do you got any day two guys there? Do you want to switch it up a little bit and maybe look at defensive tackle or anything you've got? Yeah, I'll throw in a defensive tackle. I, I I actually have two guys. I have a day one, well, maybe early day two guy. And for me, that would be Raekwon Davis out of Alabama. Uh, I think just having you know, a, a bigger interior presence, you know, especially if they don't go out and get somebody like Mike Davis or even maybe even if they do and that just so they can have uh, an opportunity to develop a guy down the road and uh, maybe take over for Jaron Reed if he ends up moving on after this two year contract. But they still need those big interior run-stopping type guys, and, and Davis has the ability to to get after, get after the quarterback a little bit too. So I, I have him on my list, and then for a guy who's a little bit later, I have Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma, and I know a lot of people had talked about him being. Gosh, it, it seemed like people were talking about him as late first round. I I see him more as end of the second round, maybe a third round type of, of guy, but uh, Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma, big Canada. We can, we can add uh, another Canadian presence uh, to the Seahawks uh, this time on the defensive side of the ball to go along with Luke Wilson. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to predict where these guys are going to go. Um, yeah. A lot of big boards have these guys inside the, you know, seven, the 75 spot. 
um, which would put them in the top of the third round or the, the back end of the second round. Uh, Raquan Davis is one of those guys. The reason that he's going to fall a little bit late, even though he has tremendous skill, he was a little inconsistent in college, more of a run stuffer now, gives you the potential if he can kind of turn it on and click for him a little bit at the NFL level. He might be able to give you a little bit on uh, pushing the pocket around a little bit. I don't know that he's ever going to be a big sack guy, but he could definitely disrupt that pocket on the interior. I like Gallimore as well. Um, I think he gives you a little bit more potential on the pass rush side of things and not so stout um, at the point of attack, but he's definitely a player that that I wouldn't mind the Seattle uh, taking a look at. Keith, uh, what do you think about those players, and do you have anybody else? Well, just in the same same kind of idea, um, I was thinking, what do you guys think of of Marlon Davidson out of Auburn, who was a guy that I was going to bring up? Uh, he was a guy that that draft Twitter loved, you know, um, at one point, and then they've kind of stopped talking about him, <laughs> and I found that to be interesting. Um, but he has, you know, he has some scheme diversity in that. He can, you know, move over to the nose tackle on obvious passing downs. He can play the three tech. Um, he's got some uh, some quickness. Uh, can get around the edge on a stunt, that kind of stuff. You're not gonna, never going to line him up at defensive end on the regular, but you know, you could get him over on the edge on a play here or there and and, and create some matchup problems. Um, yeah, and I just I think that would be a good fit. I know that. Um, if you go back and you watch the game where they played against Alabama, he really struggled against that. Their, um, you know, they're a huge offensive line, and I think maybe that's the red flag which is turning people off on him. But the rest of his tape is pretty dang good, and he just has that kind of uh, not. He doesn't really have that weakness. He's maybe not great, like a great pass rusher or. Uh, that, but he seems to be really well balanced in, in that he does a lot of different things well. Brandon, what do you think? Yeah, he was a guy that I remember being talked about, especially during Senior Bowl week. We didn't get to see him during the actual game because I, I think he injured his ankle and ended up in a, a boot before the game. But he was a guy that uh, was talked about throughout the week as, as drilling really well. And uh, it's kind of one of the standouts of that Senior Bowl week. Yeah, I don't know quite what to make of him. I mean, he's really strong. He's a strong player, um, and and it seems to me like he's kind of a tweener, and, and the Seahawks may want him to go one direction or another. He could lose a little bit of weight and be kind of that five-technique guy that slides in for you, or they could beef him up a little bit, and he could stick in there at, the, at the, either the three-technique or, or possibly even the nose uh, where Puna Ford's at right now. That might be an interesting role for him. Um it's hard it, to me. I don't know if I would look at him a, a, before the third round. What do you? Where do you think he goes in the draft, Keith? Um, you know, I've got him. Uh, I, I was thinking, you know, end of round two. So, bef- like when the CX have those two picks later in round two, that he would be a guy that would go there, maybe at the beginning of round three, um, somewhere in that range. That's just kind of where I was looking at for a defensive tackle. Because I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect the CX to go defensive tackle early. So really, that's kind of where I start is is from him, and then kind of work my way down. Um, rather than you know looking at at higher ranked guys, I just don't see them going defensive tackle early. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they may look at a guy like Jordan Elliott, six four, three fifteen, out of Missouri. 
I don't see a lot of people talking about this guy, but he's he's got some great uh, stats, and he looks he looks like a terrific player on tape. Twenty two tackles, four sacks, nine hits, twenty one hurries out of that three tech spot in Missouri. Um, it's eighteen point seven pass rush win rate led all interior defenders in 2019 jordan elliott to me would be a guy that they could surprise with like if they if they traded back out of the first round picked up some picks uh maybe slid into the middle of the second round uh with one of those um that would be an interesting guy a guy that would fill that jordan reed role or or tandem up with jordan reed as you said, uh, develop a guy, come along. If Reed were to leave in a couple of years, that would be an interesting one for me. Um, let's, is there anybody else on the defensive line that you guys want to talk about before we move on to, to some linebackers? And I don't have a lot of linebackers personally as well. It's kind of a, there's kind of a hole there for me in this draft and uh, I'm not really focusing on that too much. But if you guys have anybody, certainly bring them on. Yeah, I have two guys down for linebacker that you know, one of the things I've, I've been talking to Rob State in the Seahawks draft blog, and there's one particular stat that is it's pretty incredible when it comes to linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks and and just one of those things that they look for in terms of numbers. And that is uh, a, um, they're looking at the three cone and mm-hmm. if, if it's below seven one. They, I think it's the top 15 guys since 2010 who have all had below a 7-1-3 cone, and five of those 15 have ended up on the Seahawks. And there's two guys that have done it. Uh, one, uh, well, Zach Bond was a guy that you brought up earlier, and he was, he was 4-3 at the Combine. But then when they did the Wisconsin Pro Day, he came in under that at 4.08. It was the only drill that he actually ran uh, out of the Wisconsin Pro Day. And then his his teammate, Chris Orr, uh, who I think is probably a day three type of guy. And if he's available on day three, I would I would just about put him as a lock for the Seahawks because he had a 408 uh, on the uh, uh, on his drill. Yeah, I think I said seven one earlier four four one right. On the short shuttle. Yeah, interesting. You know, I the Chris Orr name is actually really interesting to me um, as kind of a weak side linebacker kind yeah. of guy, especially when you take a look at um, K.J. Wright and the contract, and K.J.'s getting a little up there. He's had a couple of uh, years' worth of knee issues. I kind of put that past, uh, past him last year, but he's not getting any younger. So a guy like that on the roster would be intriguing. Although Cody Barton actually has a natural fit at the will as well. Uh, Keith, what do you think about those two guys or, uh, or, uh, Zach Bond? You know, we, we've talked about Zach in the past, haven't really brought him up today, but do you think he's a, a Seahawk kind of a guy at the, at the Sam spot? Um, or in that kind of Bruce Irvin kind of mold? I mean, kind of. I mean, he's, um, he's a little undersized to be an edge uh, in terms of like, oh, he's going to come up and, and and be a pass rusher, but he has some uh, pass rush ability. So having him blitz or be a guy that, you know, plays a, plays the, the old Bruce Irvin role where he drops into coverage and does a lot of the things that Sam linebacker, but then is allowed to come up and play defensive end only on, you know, third and 10 or longer uh, type situation so that way he can get, 
uh, an opportunity to, you know, really get after the quarterback, I think that would be a nice fit. Um, the combination of him and Cody Barton uh, being there, ready to kind of take over uh, from the, you know, the, the the two stalwarts that they've had at linebacker for the last uh, almost decade would be kind of a fun little thing to have going there. We got the two veterans and then the two kids and, um, you know, trying to find ways to get all four of them on the field at times. I, you know, the way I see it too is um, Zach Bond, and we mentioned uh, quite a few different players that could play that Sam role. He's probably my first pick if I were to pick, if they say, actually, we're going to take a guy that could play Sam and come up and, and rush the passer. He's just got that football intelligence about him. And then uh, he's probably the best Sam linebacker uh, in the class as far as dropping back into coverage. Um, over the last couple of years, he's dropped back into coverage 195 times and only allowed 112 total yards receiving, ranked number one in college football. Also, his pressure rate is really nice for rushing the passer. Generated a 16.5% pressure rate, ranked sixth overall in college football. So while he's only around a 4.6540, that doesn't tell the tale when it comes to get off and getting uh, to the quarterback with that uh, short area quickness. So to me, that's a great pick, Brandon. I like, I would like that pick. And if I would even take him at 127, or I would take him at uh, 2-1 or 2-5 or whatever, right in that range, I think is where his value is. And I think he would be a tremendous get to the team, would add some of that speed I've been talking about too. I would love that. Well, and, and you nailed it with a 4-6-5, not really... Uh accommodating for the type of, of get off that he has off the line you look at his 10 yard split and it's, you know, in the one five range. So it's, it's definitely, it, it's, you know, how many times is a guy like him going to be running, you know, 40 yards anyway? <laughs> That's true. You know, I mean, he, he can run down plays as well. And, you know, from that position, you're going to chase down some plays. He has that ability. So I'm not worried about, about him very much. Uh, Keith, do you have any linebackers to talk about at all? Or do you want to skip that? <laughs> Um, I don't really have a lot of prepped on linebacker just because for me, it's not, um, this great position of need, but there is a guy that I kind of want to get your guys' opinion of. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, even though I I doubt you've prepared. Um, it would be Troy Dye, linebacker out of Oregon. Um, you know, 6'3", 231, great speed, uh, really high football intelligence, doesn't take bad angles, uh, but at the same time, he you know he's uh, had some tackling problems at times. He kind of goes goes through streaks of that, and then other times when he's solid, um, I could see him dropping uh, quite a ways. But then, just being such a good athlete, just being a very sea hockey kind of guy. So I just kind of get your guys' opinion if you have one uh, formed on him at this point. You're talking like a weak side guy. Yeah. Is that where you see him? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's got some coverage ability um, and, you know, kind of a zone cover kind of guy. Uh, he's got good size and athletic ability. And that's really all I know. I haven't done a lot of research on him. Um, you know, he's, he's an Oregon guy. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Brandon, you got anything on Troy Dye? No, I, you know, he's not even he's not a guy that I had down on my list to check out. So I've uh, that's one that I, I haven't watched a whole lot of. Troy Dye is his size is intriguing to me. It's six four, two twenty five. You know, KJ Wright as as big as he is, it's it really is unusual to see the linebackers really that size. And so now now you got me curious, Keith. 
Yeah, let's go do our homework and everybody yeah. else too. It was just one of those where like I, I just don't see the need because they've got their uh, their three starters. You've also got um, you know Bruce Irvin there who can play the Sam if you need him to because that's what he did when he was in Seattle before. Um, I just don't see a huge need at linebacker, and so I could see them just waiting and waiting and waiting. And once you get into day three and you start looking at linebackers in that range, it becomes really hard to pick one out of the crowd because there's just so many. We only have so long, uh, so many days and so many hours of of, uh, film time to watch. So uh, It's funny, Keith. You know, when you take a look at linebackers, you know, we kind of blend them a little bit with the edge rushers um, and, and some of those guys that can drop back into coverage. We call them Sam linebackers. And so we've we've talked about some quote unquote linebackers in this draft, but we call them edge players and Sam guys. Um, and it's interesting, too, because I think you and I over the last three or four years, Keith, uh, we've just completely avoided talking about middle linebackers in the draft. Bobby Wagner's there. <laughs> we don't want to jinx him at all. So we've just left that alone. I think the team could probably use a legit backup middle linebacker. I know Cody Barton can fill that role if need be, but there's really nobody else there that kind of could step up and do that if Bobby were to happen to get, get nicked up a bit. Um what are your overall thoughts on Bobby Wagner and when should we start looking at middle linebackers in the draft? Um, if you were, in a, if you're asking me or, or, or Brandon, I'll just jump in. I was going to say, um, you can start looking for a starting middle linebacker when you need one. And right now you've got, uh, arguably, well, actually with Keekly gone, not even arguably, you have the best middle linebacker in the game that's good enough. And you've got him. Cody Barton was a, a middle linebacker in college and that's kind of his, where he wants to be, even though I think he's a little undersized for that and a better fit at the will. But with those two guys in the roster, I'm not, I'm not even thinking middle linebacker at all. Yeah. Bobby Wagner, he'll turn 30 in June. So, you know, we still have a good five years of Bobby Wagner. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. It really is crazy. And, and what a, blessing i mean to have a guy uh make uh as many tackles as he does and put his body out there um is just a remarkable testament to his off-season work uh, ethic and coming in ready to play uh understanding schemes etc i mean bobby wagner future hall of famer bobby wagner um let's take a look at safeties now to me the team on uh when you take a look at it has the safety position basically covered? Um, what do you think the Seahawks look for at the safety position? I, they did uh, turn loose a player that, that we all kind of complained about for the last couple of years this week in Tedrick Thompson. Um, do you think there's a spot available for a guy in the draft? I think there is. I think when we talk about safety, it it feels like we're set there in a sense because of Quandre Diggs coming over and having success toward the end of last year. Uh, and they drafted in the second round uh, safety. So, and then you have Bradley McDougal on the team. So it, in a way it kind of feels set, but I, I do think that they still have the ability to upgrade there. They have the ability to add depth. I don't think I want Lano Hill being, you know, if they're able to find a guy who can take Lano Hill spot and cut him before the, the start of the season, I think I'd be okay with that. Uh, I have three guys down at safety and kind of one for each day. So 
I'll start with day one. I don't think that they would go here, but Grant Delpit of LSU, if they decide to go safety late round one, if he's there, uh, he's a guy who had been talked about as, as being, you know, a top 15 guy just a year ago and a guy who can play, gosh, you know, whether he's, he's lined up on the back end where he's up on the line of scrimmage, uh, playing at linebacker. They, they've, they've had him all over the field for LSU. Um, a guy, a day two guy that I think kind of fits that Seahawks mold just because of his takeaways last season is Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota. And then uh, either one of the, you know, depending on whether they go small or big, I uh, both of the safeties from Clemson, Tanner Muse and Kevon Wallace uh, out of Clemson, I could see either of those guys being safety, safety depth. Uh, and, and both of the, just very different sizes though. Um, and, and Tanner Muse is probably the more impressive one to me just in terms of his combination of size and speed. You know, he was a, a four, three, eight, uh, 40 guy. And, uh, but also a guy that I, I think we remember him was it in the, uh, in the playoffs where he, he got beat really badly, but he was still able to run down, uh, the running back from behind, but it was because he was out of position that, uh, that he wasn't that, that he had to make up about uh, 40 or 50 yards of ground to, to make the tackle before the running back scored. Keith, I'll let you have a shot. Uh, if we're throwing out our names, I mean, uh, to me, the list has to start with uh, Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois. I mean, this guy, um, and as far as his athletic numbers, he just kind of blows everyone away. Um, you know, he's 6'3", 221, but has the speed of, um, you know, a free safety and, uh, but the size of someone who can play up in the box. Um, I, to me, I mean, I'm just looking at a guy, I, people are going to go like, what, Southern Illinois? But uh, well, well, talk <laughs> talk to us about your your kind of uh, theory, your proposal that the Seahawks may consider uh, that you threw out a couple weeks ago. I thought was really interesting for him. Well, so the other thing that I really like about him is if you look at his athletic profile, um, he is a slightly more athletic version of Flowers, um, who they converted into a cornerback. Um, because he's got all the athletic traits of a cornerback who just happens to have been playing safety. Um, but, you know, 6'3", 221 is probably a little big for most people uh, when they start looking at cornerbacks. But, you know, Richard Sherman was that size and had that turn out, um, I think, pretty well. And so he's just a guy that when it comes to defensive back, um, whether he be safety or as a conversion project at, at, at cornerback, Man, if if he ends up in Seattle, I'm going to be excited just because athletically he's scary good. Well, and he he uh, he's got an 88.5 uh, grade against the run and an 82.4 grade in coverage. Pro Football Focus, um, you know, I think there's that he's going to com- end up getting. There's a level of competition issue there. Um, I think that's going to overly yeah, inflate Southern, that. Uh, Southern Illinois is an FCS school rather than FBS with the, the big boys, but uh, it was definitely yeah. on my list too, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm a, I'm an Antoine uh, Winfield guy myself. Um, and I, and I've spent a little bit of time looking at him on film. I've also spent uh, some time doing some research on him. 
um, because he just is so sea hockey. Uh, the more you look, the more you like kind of a guy. And, and I, I couldn't stop looking. So I know that the need isn't there, especially for a free safety, which is what he is. He's a free safety. He's not going to be a, a hybrid guy. He's not going to come up and be a box guy for you unless you need him to. He's willing, but he's a little undersized at 5'10", 205. But man, is he a ball hawk. He's a ball hawk. He's a film geek. He studies film like nobody um, else in the in this draft. Um, and he just doesn't allow himself to get beat in coverage. Uh, he takes uh, chances on the ball. Um, he just is one of those players that you know is going to be a pro for like 10 plus years. And um, so I think that, that he, would, he would be an excellent value pick for the Seahawks if you could pick him up in the middle of the second round or even at the back end of the second round. And I don't know that the need is there to do that. Um, and uh, I don't know if Quandre Diggs would be able to come up and actually play in the box full time and allow him to go play free safety and have Bradley McDougal be that third guy or expendable, um, you know, either this year or next year. So I'm just not sure about it. I mean, it, it would be just be one of those things that you don't expect the Seahawks to do, and then they go do it, and they've done that before. So we'll see. And the other one the guy I had on my list uh, was uh, your guy, uh, Brandon, Kevon Wallace out of mm-hmm. Clemson. Uh, the reason I like him uh, is he's a hybrid guy, so he can give you a lot of scheme diversity. He can play that free safety. He's got that coverage ability. Um, he can come up and play the box. Uh, he can play some nickel or slot for you. Um, he's an aggressive tackler. Pete loves guys like that. Um, reads plays instinctively. He can blitz for you if you need him to. He's got that grit, that special teams thing going on. Um, to me, if you can get a guy like that in the fourth round and Seattle has a couple of picks there, that would be a really nice pick um, just for the special teams value this year. Next year, when Bradley McDougald's contract is uh, coming up and, and all that kind of stuff, you've got a guy like that sitting there. Um, it makes things a little easier to transition. Uh, anybody else got any safeties you want to talk about or you want to go to corner? Um, I've got a, a day three safety that I was looking at, mainly just because of special team stuff. Um, because I think that the Seahawks are always looking to add guys that we've never heard of um, to, to be special teams, um, you know, mainstays for them. And um, there was a guy, uh, Kyle Duggar from uh, Lenore Rhine University, um, <laughs> who athletically straight line speed, big, imposing 61217, strong safety type, but with. Um, free safety kind of speed uh and just a guy that i think you put him on the outside uh as a uh gunner against you know return uh you know on punt coverage type of situation and he's going to kill people he's just literally going to just crush people and i think that that is um it's just the type of guy that the Seahawks love to draft that's funny i mean (laughs) i i think you're right i mean he could be a, a conversion kind of guy too. I mean, he's got some safety ability. He's got some corner ability. That would be an interesting thing. Brandon, cornerback, uh, what'd you bring to the table today? All right. Well, since Keith brought up a guy from Southern Illinois, I'm bringing up a, a corner <laughs> from Southern Illinois, Madre Harper. And he, this is a guy that uh, he also played with Trey Flowers at Oklahoma State, but he got kicked off the team for violating team rules. I it, 
I could never find out exactly what it was because another teammate of his got suspended for just one game about the same time. But then he went to Southern Illinois, finished off his last two years, and he just he screams Seahawks cornerback to me. He's just about 6'2", 196 pounds. He wore the number 25. Uh, he's got almost 34-inch arms, ran a 4-4-40, has a 40-inch vertical, uh, sub-7, three-cone drill. And uh, one of the things that really won me over was me checking out uh, his interviews. And when he was asked of who one of the most underrated players was in the NFL, his answer was Doug Baldwin. Wow. Nice. I like that. Not I've never heard of him. That. He I've is never not heard of on my list at all. He is, I he is literally just not on my radar. Yeah. Well, he, he wasn't a combine guy, so he didn't have any pro day results. I think he, he either worked out with Oklahoma State uh, since it was his former team or he worked out with Northwestern. And so uh, once once I saw his his measurements come through and uh, that got me looking into him and just, yeah. Like I said, he has the tie to Trey Flowers uh, playing with him at uh, Oklahoma State. So yeah, this is, I think this is a, a day three guy to watch out for. That's that's great. Um, for me, I've, uh, I like uh, Trevon Diggs, and I know he's probably going to go in the first round. He may end up dropping a little bit, but it's going to be too early for the Seahawks. But he's totally a Seahawks kind of guy i mean if you really look at him uh the athletic traits the the arms the wingspan the ball skills the the run support the press man and zone ability um the the the, uh the alabama uh thing and all of the um you know all of the productivity that he had and the seahawks met with him at the combine so could this be the year that the Seahawks take a corner in the first round. No, no, they're not going to. <laughs> so, but I, but I said, thought I'd I mentioned him. Mocked him to the Seahawks, Bill. It's, it, it's bound to happen sometime. It you was, have to get it right. It was, it was more probable a week and a half ago than now. Um, I agree. The, the Dunbar trade, I think, makes an early round cornerback um, very unlikely. Yeah. I like a guy like, uh, later on, I like a guy like Lamar um, Jackson, um, just because he's just a huge corner. Um, I'm trying to look look for him right now in my notes because I'm all scrambled up. Um, yeah, well, he was, 208. He, yeah. he was literally the guy I was going to bring up. Um, and partly because he's got a really recognizable name. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be a Seahawks draft. Very true. Lamar, ja- uh, Lamar Jackson. I was like, oh no, wait, not the quarterback, the cornerback. Yeah, that's funny. Um, no, I think he's got great size, great speed. He's just got that combo that I think that uh, that you mentioned uh, earlier that Pete Carroll looks for in a corner, and he's got those traits. Um, and uh, to me, that would be a good find if you could pick him up in the fifth round, which is kind of where I think that he would probably end up going. Um, Keith, what do you got in your notes for him? Well, what I've got for him is, yeah, he's just, he's a big, he's a physical corner that he, uh, they like to bring him up and play him on the line in, in press coverage. Um, but he's, he's got some good straight line speed, just very large, imposing guy, uh, really long 32 and a quarter inch arms. Um, he just screams Seahawk prototype, you know, put him on the outside where he can 
step, get up and press, but then just but then bail out and just have a third of the field and not get beat deep and not have to stay with guys, you know, the, the smaller, shiftier guys, um, because they play a lot of cover three, and it, it's just a good yeah. fit for Seattle's scheme. Yeah, for me, uh, before you have a chance, Brandon, this guy is probably the most likely guy to be drafted by the Seahawks in any of the guys that we've talked about to me. Now, we need all those other guys, the the rush guys we talked about at the top and stuff, but at this fifth round kind of a guy, a corner that they can develop, we'll probably need an extra corner on the on the back end uh, on the roster. Um, I think that this might be the guy, but that's just me. Brandon, I, go I'm going to put up my guy Harper against your guy. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see who wins. That's funny. Um, so, anybody else got any players from any spot in the draft that you had in your notes that you want to talk about? I've got another corner that I want to throw out there. Um, not because he doesn't really fit the the Seahawk prototype of being tall and long and all of that, but he's really athletic, and I think he's being overlooked quite a bit. Um, and that would be Harrison Hand out of Temple. Uh, 5'11", 197, um, but athletically, uh, you know, right up there with, um, you know, Jeff Okudoha, who's probably going to be a top five pick. Um, and he's a little smaller, but man, you want to talk about a guy that can be your slot corner, your um, uh, Justin Coleman eventual replacement for the next five years. Um or four years, I guess. Uh, and, and people are looking at him. Um, you know, if you look around, uh, ESPN and NFL.com and, and all of that, you're seeing a lot of him, you know, down in round five, round six territory. And I'm like way too athletic to, to be still available that late and not end up in a Seahawk uniform. Interesting. Yeah, I had a couple of slot guys myself. Shaheem Carter from Alabama, six uh, foot one ninety five. Their starting starting slot in eighteen and nineteen. Uh, he had a slot coverage grade among the five best in, in college football during those two years. Um, great tackler, uh, shifty, fifth round kind of kind of guy. So same sort of thing. Yeah, the slot guy I had down was Reggie Robinson out of Tulsa. And uh six one two oh five. Uh let's see, he was first team all American uh last year and had thirteen pass breakups, four interceptions. I saw that he actually met with the the Rams. So with them releasing Nickel Roby Coleman, they they might be looking at a guy like Robinson to come in to fill that spot. Interesting. Uh I had a defensive tackle that I never mentioned in uh Ross Blacklock. Um kind of that uh, if we trade back into the second round, uh, middle of the second round, kind of a guy, uh, six, two and a half, 290 pounds, kind of a three tech guy that could also defend the run as well. It's got that quickness and the pass rush moves, the bull, the whip, the swim, the rip, all that kind of stuff. He's got those. Um, and, and he can get double teamed and eat, eat space, uh, as a run defender, um, he's kind of a hand fighter. So that's the guy that I mentioned earlier, Keith, in a couple episodes ago where Blacklock's dad played for the Harlem Globetrotters and is now their oh, coach. I yeah. thought that was the interesting thing about him uh, that was interesting. But he's got an 89.5 uh, grade against the, the run, seventh overall uh, for all defensive linemen. But his upside is his pass rush ability. So that's another guy that uh, to look for. 
are, are we allowed to finish the podcast without talking about Yitor Gross Matos? Because he's another guy who I feel like is mocked to the Seahawks incessantly. Oh, that's very true. Why don't you talk about him? Oh, well, uh, 6'5 guy out of Penn State, uh, kind of that uh, pass rusher type. I, I didn't put him on my list because I, I figured maybe one of us would bring him up. But yeah, uh, it, yeah, I didn't put him on mine for that same reason. I'm like, this is almost <laughs> too obvious. So I'm like, okay, let's pick someone that, that our listeners probably haven't read about already because... Well, um, what's the rub on him, Keith? I mean, why is he there at the back end of the first round and the second round when teams need pass rush ability like nobody's business and he seemingly gives that to you what's why is he falling a little bit um i think it's just well it's a a couple of different things um part of it is you know you start looking at him as you know just pure athleticism and that kind of stuff and he he's not gonna he's not as athletic yeah he's not as athletic as some of those really like fast edge guys but he's Mm -hmm. not as stout as some of those guys that that can defend the run uh in the top of the class he's also really tall uh at six five i know like uh if you're a guy that's going to come up and put your hand on the ground um being six five is actually not an advantage because you it's really easy to lose leverage um and so, I mean, you look at like Puna Ford fell into all the way down to being undrafted because of his height, because he's only like 5'11, but it's a natural leverage advantage uh, for him and he uses it well. Um, and I think with uh, Gross Matos, you're going to see kind of the opposite where he's going to struggle to keep his pads underneath uh, the offensive lineman. And I think teams are a little leery of that. There's two guys in that mold that I like just a little better. Uh, that, that the Seahawks could wait for um, a little longer than Matos would be Terrell Lewis. He's still, he's that height, that 6'5", 251 from Alabama, but he's got that pressure rate that Matos doesn't have. Matos at Penn State has like a, you know, 10, 11, 12 uh, percent uh, pass rush rate. And uh, Terrell Lewis has got 19.8, ranks third in college football. Another guy I like is Daryl uh, Taylor, 6'4", 256 out of Tennessee. Uh, a little later, uh, back of the second, into the third round. Whoa! Hello! <laughs> He's got three sacks, or excuse me, seven sacks, three hits, uh, and 34 hurries. A guy like that might be a, a better value kind of a guy, especially if there's some offensive guy, and we're t- talking offense today, but, but if there's a couple of offensive tackles sitting there at the back of the first round, uh, and they present the best value, um, like that tackle from USC that we were talking about, lost his name, uh, uh, top of mind, but a guy like that sitting there, you know, if the Seahawks really want the, the draft to kind of flow to them, maybe they look for a tackle or a wide receiver and, and, and kind of make us wait a little bit for those defensive tackles that can push the pocket or those edge rushers. And maybe they look, you know, at the, at the back of the second round to get one of those guys or look for uh, their third round pick or their two fourth round picks to, to do that. Where do you guys see the value? Now you guys can talk offense if you want to. I know you're not prepared, but um, where do you see the value in that? The end of the first round, dropping back, picking up picks. Um, What do you think they're likely to do? Brandon. Yeah, I think it, it just makes sense that they're going to drop back just because they do it every year. And there is such a range of players in that uh, late first round, early second round. I don't I don't even necessarily think that they're going to go 
defense first because you know they they have needs on the offensive line still. I could see them going uh, offensive tackle early on you know, with the if they do drop back into that early part of the second round. There's still going to be a lot of wide receiver talent that they could take early in that second round. So I, I guess I would just like them to address the defensive line as much as possible now through free agency, depending on whatever we end up seeing with Clowney. So that they they have that flexibility to to take you know their guy there uh, at the what I think is going to be the beginning of the second round. You know they gave up their fifth round pick uh, to the Skins to get Dunbar. So I I think that uh, they're going to want to still accumulate some more picks, and they can do that pretty easily just by uh, going back there into the early second round. Yeah, I agree on the drop back, Keith. What do you think about value and where? the different slots of value are in the draft and how likely would it be that they don't take an edge or don't take a defensive tackle uh, in the, in the, the first couple picks? Uh, I think it's unlikely um, unless Clowney turns around and signs and then they look at, you know, they got Mayo and, and um, Irvin to add to it and they go, okay, well we can wait a little bit and go get, you know, someone who's more of a project. Um, but without that happening, I, I see them them trying to get an edge, trying to get a pass rusher uh, with one of those first you know three picks. Uh, I also think they're going to move down. I mean, they when they traded another pick to to get Dunbar, now they're down to six picks in the draft. And granted, five of those are in the top one hundred and fifty, which is a great place to be um, having that many picks uh, you know in the top one hundred and fifty of the draft. Uh, John Snyder is not leaving this draft with six rookies. Uh, that's not going to happen. So he, him moving down um, into the top around two, picking up, you know, an extra third or an extra fourth and an extra sixth, um, something like that. It seems like an absolute given that it's going to happen. I've got him having seven picks. Um, 127, 259, 264, 3101, 4, 133, 4, 144, and 6, 214. Hmm. I had him at okay. I had him down to six after the Dunbar trade. I wonder which one I missed. Brandon, Brandon, what do you got him at? I'm just trying to pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, you do that. I, th- I, I did think that they had seven and went down to six, but uh, I thought they had eight and went to seven. Um, that could be the guy I'm talking about was uh, Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle for USC. I think Keith and I had talked about him a couple weeks yep. ago. <laughs> as far as him sitting there. After uh, Effetti has left now, Brandon Shell comes in as the likely right tackle starter on the team. But he's, you know, I'm not sure if they want to, you know, do a straight across kind of player for player wash there as far as talent and so forth, um, minus the penalties. Uh, a guy like Austin Jackson would give them a year at right tackle that would, I think, would be an upgrade. And then uh, as uh, Brown gets a little older on the left side there, you have an opportunity to move Austin Jackson, who is a three-year starter at left tackle at USC, that has the quickness and the feet and the ideal size to play left tackle um, to move him over there. Seahawks may look at that as a longer-term value to me. Um, they could still go out and uh, possibly drop back just a few picks and pick up an additional pick in the draft and still get Jackson and still address those pass rest needs like the the Uche pick or um, Ane or Jabari um, there in the second round 
um, and still get a, a tackle out of it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just speculating at this point, but I think it's possible. I just think it's possible. Any thoughts before we kind of wrap this thing up, guys? Um, yeah, I just, at this point, like, we are we are to a point where, can the draft just start already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am, uh, I am so like we are cooped up here in under quarantine, and I I'm ready for, you know, something to actually watch that's not, um, you know, reruns and that kind of stuff, and and uh, it, to actually get a chance to have sports on my TV again, even if it's just a draft and not a game, I would be ecstatic for. Yeah, and uh, so while we're we're thinking about this here, it was uh, they are down to seven picks now, so they were at eight uh, before the Dunbar trade. So still, I, I think you know double digit uh, players coming out of the draft is what we can expect. And I, I'm with you, Keith. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for the draft. What do you guys think about how they're going to do the draft? Because one of the things that came across on Thursday is the NFL gave some guidance of just how teams can structure themselves of whether they do it remotely from home versus coming into the facility, but maintaining, you know, kind of the, the required uh, space, uh, you know, the, the six feet space I'm guessing. So I, I'm curious to see how you look back and just how the Seahawks, uh, you know, they put up their camera of the draft room and it's, it's packed full of guys. And now it could be that, you know, it's a relative uh, skeleton crew inside the facility or, Maybe all guys just uh, kind of checking in remotely and and doing things. It's going to be a different way to watch the draft this year. I I have no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a logistical nightmare. I mean, it just is what it is. Um, you know, back in the old day, uh, when I first started doing the draft in the late '80s, I'm really dating myself. Sorry. Um, they that's kind of the way that that it was done. It was done uh, behind closed doors. Basically, they would announce the picks. ESPN started doing it in the late '80s. They would announce the picks as they would come through, kind of a scrolling thing at the bottom of the screen, and and soon they would analyze it and so forth, and it developed from there. Um, so this is going to be just different this year, and I think people just need to kind of get real and get get to the point where they're going to accept whatever happens. Um, there's a lot of external pressure right now on the NFL um, outside of the NFL. When you when you listen to everyone talk, uh, people are questioning whether the NFL should proceed with this thing. So just at this point, just having the draft. I know we all want it. It's a distraction for us and so forth, but is it the right look? Is Are the teams doing the right thing? You mentioned uh, having to get together logistically to kind of make this happen. Um, I think working remotely is probably going to be the answer. Uh, you, you're going to have a lot of Zoom conferences. People are going to be online, uh, interfacing, uh, FaceTime-like uh, to, to make decisions. Uh, you're going to have uh, the NFL have uh, plan A, plan B, plan C as far as on game day. They, they want to make sure that they don't have any Wi-Fi problems. They want to make sure that there's a text backup. Uh, all that kind of stuff is going to come into play. It's just going to be weird. It's going to be unusual. We're not going to see live camera feeds of player reactions. We're not going to have any fans. So there's going to be zero cheering. It's going to be a very dry kind of presentation of picks. Um, and probably, frankly, that's the way it should be, um, given the 
somber tone of what's going on right now uh, in society. I think it, it probably just needs to be a little downplayed this year. Uh, just just list the picks. Just just make the selections. We can all cheer at home. We can get together on Twitter and celebrate. Um, that's probably the way it's going to be this year. Keith, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, and to me, I mean that it, it's going to be weird in that you're going to have, um, you're not going to have those uh, those scenes of you know fans like screaming or booing or you know um, any of that. You're not you don't really need the big long stage and the the walk out to the podium by the commissioner and and any of that. Um, so what's it going to look like? Um, you know, it, is it going to be if you're not going to have all that that pageantry, um, I, I'm just curious what it's going to look like, what it's uh, going to be as far as like, okay, when the the pick's announced, um, how much different is it going to be to have, you know, they're going to have someone reading off the name, but without the stage and the podium and all of that, it just feels like it's going to be kind of anticlimactic at times. Um, a little sterile. When, yeah. Yeah. Especially when the first pick is, is announced and it's not like a thing where um, there's that anticipation. Cause you just kind of lose that with the, the way this is going to be set up. I, you know what? I, I am going to disagree with you though, Bill. I think we still will find a way to get those, reaction shots of the actual picks because i think just as easily you you could set up a, a usb camera to a computer inside of each one of these draft picks houses and they're going to be at home you know with their mom and dad or brothers and sisters and so i think that you will have an opportunity it won't it may not be the the big groups of of family gatherings that we've seen in the past but you know the the small groups of family i think are still going to be there and i i think you can find a way to get those reaction shots of the individual athletes as their names are announced. Yeah. That would not be a good look for the NFL. If they, if they went to, uh, to a, a house party of and, and there people. was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to try to avoid yeah. that, but I get, I get it. You know, the other thing too, Keith, I think, uh, as far as when the, when the pick is, is announced, there'll still be the video package, the analysis, the breakdown on the players and so forth. And maybe they can jazz that up a little bit and kind of give it a little bit more, uh, pizzazz. It was going to be in Vegas this year. Maybe they're, they'll bring some of that into it still. Um, just so that there's some level of pageantry with, with the picks, um, which would be kind of fun. I mean, we all need a little bit of a break and just to, to, to be able to have that, um, would be nice. What are your thoughts? And and have you heard Brandon, uh, when you were talking about the logistic part of this thing early on, um, have you heard if they're going to do it all in, in one day, or are they going to still break this down over three days? Yeah. It seems to me the need would be less. Okay. Yeah, the the twenty third through the twenty fifth. So they're still going to do it over the three days, and that it makes sense to me. I I think they probably they could probably break it up to do the first and second round in one day at least. And I only say that selfishly because I know that the Seahawks will trade back, and you know I, I get tired <laughs> of watching the entire first round uh, for the ultimate move back into round two. But um, I, I think the the format is is still going to be the same, and yeah, that uh, that third day. Uh, you know, and with the third day, that's usually the day that we get, uh, you know, like the zookeepers announcing the picks. And so I, I am a little bit curious <laughs> of what they're going to do with that. It, it, I'm almost an advocate of if, if they could find a way to keep it from the picks getting out, 
of just having all of the selections made and then producing the show. But I, I don't think there's a way that you could that you could keep any secrets uh, once the the individual guys are called and and the the picks are made. But uh, it's it definitely seems like they would be able to do things a little bit differently. Interesting. Keith, any final thoughts today? Nope. I already got mine. Let's go ahead and um, wrap this up and I'll see you again on Monday. And Brandon, thank you for coming in and, and joining us. It's been great to have a, a third voice and uh, especially one that's so knowledgeable about the Seahawks and everything. It's uh, great. Been great having you on. Yeah. Appreciate you guys having me on. And I, I think if we uh, jump off now, we should be able to catch the end of Super Bowl 48. I, I kind of want to see how this wraps up. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Brandon, where can everybody find you? Yeah, you can check out uh, seahawkerspodcast.com. We just released a new episode as of Thursday morning, kind of taking a look back at the 2019 offseason and some of the big moves by John Schneider, taking a look back at that Frank Clark trade. And uh, you can tune in at fieldgoals.com to the podcast there as well. I usually talk to, well, I, I had you on a while back, Bill, and uh, it's more of an interview show. So anytime uh, that you, you know we can get you back on or get you on, Keith, uh, We'll, we'll be talking more draft here in the weeks here leading up to the NFL draft. Nice. And you're on Twitter as well? Yeah, check me out. Uh, at Seahawkers Pod is the Twitter handle. And uh, uh, yeah, check it out there. Uh, subscribe to Field Goals is uh, SBNation.com slash NFL Podcast. Brandon, you are getting close to having 300 episodes. I have to just say that is remarkable. We are <laughs> very proud of our little mark. I think we're at 162 with this episode, uh, 162 weeks in a, uh, consecutive weeks in a row. Uh, talk to me just briefly about the longevity of your show and, and how you got to that number. I mean, that's crazy. Well, yeah, congratulations to you guys for, for doing it week to week. I know we've taken uh, breaks from week to week here and there uh, throughout the since we started back in the 2013 season. Uh, we, we picked a pretty good year to start the Seahawkers podcast, uh, being able to cover that Super Bowl season. And yeah, just uh, haven't felt the, the we just wanted to keep going ever since. So, yeah. 300 coming up. We should be able to hit that here this summer before the season kicks off. So appreciate that's, that's uh, you amazing. noticing that. Yeah, congratulations on that. Okay, so let's get going. Uh, find Keith on Twitter at MyersNFL. I'm at NWSeahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all of the shows archived, and you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for joining us again, Brandon. And uh, we'll see you next week and uh, next time, uh, Seahawks fans. Until then, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at NWCHawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week and go Hawks. <laughs>